Welcome to the Beyond Strength Climbing Podcast, where we cover training education, athletic longevity, and the human side of climbing with your hosts, Mercedes Palmeyer and Katya Dove. All right. We're back with another episode. I'm back in the United States. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Hi. It's, um, it's so exciting to see you, Mercedes. Oh, yay. Yeah, we're in the same country. It's great. <laughs> we are. Almost the same time zone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah how was your trip? I actually have not talked good. to Mercedes since she got back because we're like, okay, yeah. we don't have any time. We need to record yeah. this podcast episode. So let's yeah. hop on and yeah. see. And she just got back yesterday. I did. Germany. I did. Um, yeah, Jerry was great. It was a trip that was very last minute. My dad wanted me to come and do a like a childhood trip basically like a childhood tour where because he he grew up in germany and he was in the hotel in, industry and he moved around a lot so uh really he just wanted to show me like where he grew up like where he did his like his apprenticeships and he lived in berlin you know during like the cold war or like when the wall was still up and like how crazy that was living in berlin during that time uh oh, so yeah it was a really fun trip it was a lot um I walked like 12,000 steps a day. It was amazing. I, I, <laughs> the, the one thing about traveling is that I walk so much and I just feel so good. I love it. That's awesome. I yeah. can't wait to hear all about it, especially, man, I would love to talk to your dad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you know you're, this, but you're I, was, German. I was yes. born on the other side of the wall. Yes. Yes. My son just my son just asked me about it. They had a event at school and there he's like, Mom, what was different when you were my age? You know, what was different for you? And I was like, well, <laughs> lots of things. <laughs> and I think one of the most striking things that, that surprises people the most is that when I was six years old, we did not have a telephone. Okay, yeah. let me say this again. We did not have yeah. it's we did not have a cell phone. We did not have a telephone, no landline. Yeah. When my mom had to call the ambulance when I was nine or so, she had to go to a payphone. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's yeah. a little bit about me. It was a really different time. I'm very passionate about talking about it, <laughs> but I will not do it, do it yes. today. Well, we, uh, we do have other things to talk about, but it is interesting though because I don't think people understand that. No. Like you also, you also only had two cars to choose from to buy. Like yeah, we got you know? car of the black market. Yeah, and it's yeah. made out of there cardboard. There's yeah. no oh seatbelts, no seatbelts yeah. in the back either. Yeah, it was a very different time. Maybe we can do a special episode where it's like <laughs> Katya shares her past. You know, like this is what East Germany was like. And yeah. you know, now there are actually museums that you can go into about East Germany. And I walk into the those museums, yeah. and I'm like, it feels like home. Um, it oh. is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and. I know, like, I learned that my dad used to smuggle things from yes. West Berlin into East Berlin so that people could have some, like, things. That's awesome. Yes, you know? that's awesome. It's, <laughs> I want to talk to your dad. Yeah. I do. It's Great. so fascinating. Yeah. It's yeah. weird because I, most people just don't understand. So even when I tell stories, yeah. people just don't understand. So yeah. it's wonderful for me to talk to people who do understand, who, like, yeah. really, they were there and they understand yeah. it's not just a story to them yeah okay, okay let's go from you know the wall in berlin all the way to recovery <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes we're going to talk about recovery today which is a great um follow-up from our last episode about warming up mm -hmm. um and that's basically where we're going to start this podcast is kind of like the the in-session recovery and then we're going to jump into things that you can do outside of your session to recover. So really, you have two opportunities to optimize your recovery. Like, why is recovery so important? So that we can perform our best. That's really like, that's that's why we should be focusing on recovery. Uh, so that we're not entering all of our sessions in a diminished state. You know, I, th I think we're, maybe, maybe we're like, trained to believe that we should always be feeling tired uh when we're training or when we're trying to pursue getting better at something but we're here to tell you that's not true 
Um, right. Yeah. And I think I feel very passionate about today's topic because I just see it so, so much, you know, and my athletes, I have to have, I feel like I have the same conversations a lot. And, you know, that includes myself. Like I just messaged you the other day because I was like, Mercedes, I'm so proud of myself. I had this amazing session and then I went home. Like I did not keep going. And that is such a new concept for me. And I feel like that's why at the age of 41, I'm still getting stronger because I'm finally learning this concept. And I just still see athletes wanting to do more and more. But I feel like that's literally like, you know, you know, you you don't feel like you don't fill up your car with gas. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's not helpful. Like in order for a car to really like run well, we need to fill it, fill it up. Or mm -hmm. I just told you this analogy that I like to bring because I love analogies which is, you know, people like they get a coach and they train, they have a training plan, they do all these things, which to me, that is the equivalent of planting seeds in a garden. Like people do all the right things. You know, they build beds, they get the right soil. They even think about where to put the beds and all the fancy things. And then they plant their seeds and they get really good seeds, you know, like really good training plans. And they do that, but then they don't water the garden. Garden. You know, then the garden like doesn't get any water to and the seeds don't actually grow. I mean, that's an extreme analogy, but I feel like that's how people can train. Not everybody does it, but this idea of let's get do all the fancy stuff, but you know, forget about the second half of training, which really is recovery. Mm -hmm. It's so huge. So yeah, I think that even in bringing on new clients, sometimes just tweaking how they're structuring their week and how much time they're spending training and just giving them even like some very small, easy things to implement in their nutrition, uh, their performance gets better. So it's not always yeah. the training plan, like yeah. itself, like those details in the training plan. It's actually all of this other stuff that is easy to implement. That is one thing mm -hmm. about recovery is that it's, it's relatively easy to do and you can mm -hmm. see so much gain from it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah let's dive right back in as mercedes has already mentioned i think if not i'm going to repeat it as we actually structured today's podcast episode in two parts the first part is actually the recovery aspect of training itself so we're going to share some tips that you can do while you're training to boost your recovery afterwards and then we're going to share um one two three four five of quite a few tips mm -hmm. um of things that you can do after or like outside of training Mm -hmm. okay yeah all right so, you want to dive yeah, right back in yeah let's start with the in-session recovery um so you can kickstart your recovery right away like the second you get to the gym you can start recovering um and this is the easiest thing it might feel really weird and like it's a waste of time but it's really really not um and this is breathing so you're doing just a a couple minutes, you find a nice spot at the gym. You can sit in child's pose if you like. You could just sit in a chair. It's great to have your eyes closed, like really, because so you can get into a relaxed state. Um, and, you know, you set a timer for a couple minutes and just take some deep breaths. Um, this is going to jumpstart that recovery process before you even start training. Um, so that is my biggest tip. There is definitely like research around this. Uh, I can't really point to any right now, but, you know, they say at least two minutes of deep breathing um, is going to help with increasing your parasympathetic nervous system tone. Um, yeah, to get recovery started. Yeah, I'd love to add a practical tip to that, um, which is sometimes we get to the gym, like we rush around, you know, we work, we sit in traffic, you rush to the gym, you know, we eat a bar, and then we're supposed to go and sit down for two minutes and breathe, right? That mm -hmm. can feel really challenging to do. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that helps me, and I talked about it during a warm-up um, podcast last week, is I actually walk on the treadmill. And I walk on the treadmill partially, that's my warm up. But for me, walking on the treadmill, because it's not running, because it's not too hard, it just brings me into the zone. And I'm starting to like, let go of all the stress around me. And I'm mentally arriving at the gym. So I actually walk on the treadmill before I do my breathing exercises, just because so I can even get into that space to even be able to sit and breathe. So that really helps me, you know, could be different things for different people, could also be, um, having a certain playlist or just one song or two to play to just kind of like arrive and come into that space even before breathing yeah i love that that's awesome, awesome. Mm -hmm. next up 
what else can we do during training? Okay, so during training, um, between climbing routes, problems, during your rest time, uh, this is another great time to just kind of focus on your breathing, maybe taking some deeper breaths between, uh, like while you're resting. I think a lot of people will make the mistake of uh, like being on their phone, get getting distracted, um, or potentially thinking of like anxious things that's happening in their lives. Like it's better if you can use your rest times as times to recover. Um, so think about your rest times and like, this is easier to do when you're lifting because you can generally sit down between sets and like breathe. Uh, so when I do bench press or squatting, like I, I like to just sit there and, and breathe while my timer's going. Um, but try to remember that also while you're climbing. So that's, that's another easy thing to do. Yeah, what I actually love about that too for myself as my life is getting, you know, quite busy now too, or busier that is, um, it's my my me time. Mm-hmm. It's literally like today I had three minute rest between, you know, the exercises I did. And it's like, those three minutes are just for me. I'm just going to sit here and just be me, you know, I don't have to respond to anybody or do anything. I can just sit here and be, and it's been really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so we've got breathing in the warm-up. We've got breathing between rests and not getting too distracted. Um, some other things that are I think can be difficult to gauge, especially if you're newer to training and you're newer to drills, is try not to leave the gym completely fatigued. Uh there are times to get fatigued, but in general most of our sessions should feel like you could do more at the end of your session. Um, You know, you want to leave snappy. That's the word we generally use with all of our athletes is, do you feel snappy? Do you still feel snappy? Great. That's a great time to stop. You've done all of your drills. You've done everything. Great. Don't do more. Don't do extra. Um, And it depends on the session, but even power endurance sessions you can still leave snappy even by getting pumped. Um, so this is going to take a little bit of time. Each person, it you know, each person feels a little different at the end of their sessions, but you can get to a point when you're feeling really good at the end of the session. Okay, so that that's a big one. I would say that's probably the biggest thing to work yeah. on for recovery is this feeling of like, oh, I feel really good. I didn't do too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I think there's this idea of, oh, I still have so much energy, I can do more and get more out of it, which is, you know, a false equivalency. And yeah. I think one of the things that has really helped me with that concept is actually having a training plan. Because I know of a training plan and I know that training plan is designed for me to get better week by week, essentially. So that I, I have this trust. I know, okay, I did what I'm supposed to do today. I feel great. And I'm going to leave the gym now because I trust this training plan and I know I come back. You know, I like to, you know, I have use analogies, but it's like eating a meal. It's like, let's say you, you're eating and you feel satisfied. You know, when you know you get to eat again, then it's okay to not stuff yourself. Mm. But if you feel like the scarcity mindset, I don't know if I'm going to eat again for the next three days, you know, then you might want to stuff yourself and overfill yourself unnecessarily, which is not going to make you feel good. And it's not going to be good for your body. So, you know, just having this trust, knowing that, you know, you will train again and the training plan is the sign that you will get better. So it's okay to feel snappy, which like offsets this lack mindset of or this mindset of I need to do more in order to get see gains you know and I think that's a really that's something we're trying to educate people which is you know why we're talking about this today yeah I think one of our biggest mantras is like less is more and more is not always better yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah less is more and less certainly is you know better than not doing anything that's part of it Mm -hmm. too you know there's there's the people who love overtraining all the time and then there's also people who struggle with consistency and that's a different problem. We're not going to talk about that today. Today is really more focused on recovery. And um, and the concepts we just talked about, the in-session concepts mm-hmm. are mostly targeted at people who like to do too much, which yeah. 
a lot of people like to do too much. And I, I think there is a misconception that you have to, one, like it feels like we need to train a lot and leave the gym feeling tired in order to get better. And the other misconception is always going to failure. So like if you are on a climb that you should really get to the point of like physically failing on it rather than uh, like if it's a project, you're going to fail on it. But mm -hmm. like if you're doing a four by four that you should get to the point of like, oh, I'm like, I can't hold on to the wall anymore. Not because it's hard, but because I literally have no more strength in my hands. Uh, I'm too pumped to hold on. Um, and we don't want to get to that mm -hmm. point. So that kind, that kind of failure, we want to try to stay away from where you've really just like used every part of energy in your body and you just cannot climb anymore. So that we really want to stay away from that as much as possible. So climbing is a skill sport, you know, like it's really important to remember that, that we build skills through really good movement and repetition and not through failure. Whereas I think I, I do wonder if the climbing industry is maybe influenced by the bodybuilding industry because there you do have to go to failure. Uh, and yeah, we should you, distinguish and it, between that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there are certain sports or things that you do in the gym that you do have to go to failure in order to produce a certain outcome. But in climbing, that's rarely the case. You know, we, we want to practice our skills and practice mm -hmm. them really well. Uh, which is also which is also why it is so important to recover well and come fresh into the next session. Because if you're training for climbing, it is a movement and skill sport. If you're now showing up to a session fatigued, your tension is going to be suboptimal. You know, your whole movement is going to be suboptimal. And now you're reinforcing bad movement. Whereas if you come in fresh and your movement is really solid, you're solidifying that good movement. You're teaching your body how to move well instead of teaching your body bad habits. Yeah. This is actually totally. a good, uh, maybe a good point to also talk about auto-regulation and what mm -hmm. we mean by that when we train, because the question is always, well, how do I know how much to push and how hard to go? How do I know how much to lift, you know, for a given day? Because we are starting a session often with different energy levels. Which is also why that the tricky aspect is when we write training plans, I have athletes, they want me to tell them how much weight to use. And I'm like, well, this is really tricky because I don't know, even when I know what your max weight is, or when I know what your max grade is, and even when I know what you're capable of, I am not there with you. So I don't know what you're capable of doing that day. So we like to use a concept of auto-regulation. I love it specifically for the female body. I train with my cycle, so I use it for that mostly. But do you want to speak, briefly speak to auto-regulation and how we can use that tool yeah. to not over overdo it so we can speed up recovery? Yeah. And so auto-regulation really points to that every day you're going to feel different. Mm -hmm. um, and this is could be because of the training you did the day before. It could be the stress that you have experienced that day. Uh, it could be like stress in relationships, uh, personal life, job, et cetera. And all of those things take energy out of your body. And therefore, there's only X amount of energy left in your body in order to do this next training session. And don't forget that you also need energy to recover. So, you know, like if I guess the analogy I have uh, for recovery is that uh, if you think of recovery or energy is a water in a bucket, that it's finite. We can't just endlessly produce energy in our body. That is, uh, you know, we just can't do that. You know, there's a reason why uh, we have training plans and that we get tired some days is because we only have so much water in this bucket and the size of the bucket will change every day. And the, the water that's allocated in this bucket is for everything. So let's say uh, digestion, you're gonna use some of that water. Uh, for did you get enough sleep? If not, it's gonna use a little bit more of that water. Now you've just done a training session, it's gonna take a big bulk of that water out of the bucket. And then whatever's left, Literally, like your body allocates the least amount of energy to recovery because it's not, in terms of survival, moving 
digesting and giving brain uh, energy to the brain are most important. And then recovery is kind of the last thing. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, it's not as important because we have to live for right now. So if you only have a little bit of water left in that bucket for recovery, guess what? Your, your size of the bucket that next day is very small, you know, which is why people experience fatigue and overtraining because those buckets get smaller and smaller with each day. So as you think about that with autoregulation, uh, which is why warming up is so important is that that's a good time to check in with yourself. Like how, how are you feeling that day? Um, and then as you start warming up and you start to feel your body, you might understand, okay, this is the kind of session I can do today. But if you notice that Mm, things feel a little bit harder than they normally would. Maybe your warm up feels a little bit harder than it should. Okay, maybe it's it's time to back off and maybe do a little less volume. If you notice that the weights that you normally lift feel a lot harder, okay, decrease the, those, uh, decrease the weight. Don't let ego dictate uh, your session. Okay, you don't have to lift the same weight in order to get stronger. You know, like it's pretty normal for those weights to go up and down based on how you feel. And, and go with your body, decrease those weights and decrease the volume if you have to. Um, and a good measure for autoregulation is the RPE scale, which takes a lot of experience. Um, granted, I, I'm still sometimes like figuring this out. So if you're new to training, RPE might not make any sense at, at all. You know, it might not be the best indicator, but uh, RPE means rate of perceived exertion. And you can give a number. Uh, to the thing that you're doing. And normally the number is between one and 10. One being, this is super easy. I could do it forever. Versus 10 is the hardest thing I have ever done. Like I feel horrible doing it. And <clears throat> generally you want to be between a six and an eight on the RPE scale where, oh, it's challenging. I could keep doing it for the allocated sets that I have. Um, and I'm not going to failure. So that's generally the the zone we want to be in. So if if you have a more of a fatigued day, like, oh, I'm not feeling great, you're still going to use that RPE six to eight, but that the, I guess the intensity might be just a little bit lower if you're looking at it in a metric system, but the feel of it should be the same. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I yeah. know the RPE scale is kind of a fancy scale that works really well for people who've been training for a while, but even just like, even just listen to your body, mm -hmm. you know, after you warm up, just see how you feel and like kind of listen to that and see, can you keep going at that level or do you feel a little bit worn down today? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's okay to adjust based on that. And at the yeah. same time, I've also, I know we're talking about recovery, but at the same time, because I just had this conversation with someone, I want to say too, if you have days where you feel really, really awesome, that is great too. Just keep in mind, if you have days where you feel so awesome, where you're now pushing beyond what you normally do by especially a greater margin, um, you're still pushing your body even when you feel awesome. So that is actually a time to consider then deloading after like recovering even more because even though you feel awesome but because you feel awesome you're doing more you're still putting more load on your body and so it's really important that even though you feel awesome now you have to be like okay but i just loaded my body even more i just like still drain more water out of that bucket i need to now recover even though i feel amazing i think ollie tor talked about it and i'm not good and i was like really insightful for me I'm like yeah that's when people get hurt it's because they push extra when they feel awesome mm -hmm. yeah um i have one more tip for in session recovery mm -hmm. before we move on to the next um stage unless you have anything else you want to add which is <laughs> this is so simple but most people could use this which is have a snack and drink water. Mm -hmm. Do it before your session or during your session. For most people, especially people who train really early in the morning and they might skip breakfast or people who train after work, it will transform your training. It will transform your training if you eat before or mid-session. And you know, yeah, it's going to be wild and you'll likely be less hungry afterwards. So you're not going to perhaps eat too much I think what I often see is like oh I don't want to eat I don't want to eat you know I'm gonna have dinner afterwards and then our session is suboptimal 
because our blood sugar was low, so we couldn't really train. So it's not, you know, it's like we're not fueling our body to do its job. And then afterwards, we're like overeating, essentially. So it's a it's a suboptimal distribution of calorie and energy, mm-hmm. calories and energy. But what I wanted to say, too, are you ready for the next stage, Mercedes? Well, one more thing. Let's talk about cool down oh, at the end of your session. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was ready to move on. No cool down for me. (laughs) Cool. Cooling down. um, You know, it is good at the end of your session to start ramping down the intensity. So uh, you could do some easy climbs at the end. And I'm talking easy, like easy, like so chill. Okay. So doing some of that is going to help with some blood flow. Um, It's also indicating to your body that you're ramping down and then, um, breathing again so like you can either do some stretching that's going to improve uh or change how you breathe stretching is a nice nice thing to do or you can do the same thing as in your warm-up where you just go sit somewhere and you breathe for a few minutes and again that's going to turn on your parasympathetic nervous system and the whole point of recovery is actually turning the dials up on your parasympathetic nervous system and less on your sympathetic nervous system which is your like fight and flight parasympathetic is your rest and digest um and and so that's what we're really trying to do here is manipulate those two nervous systems um so at the end of your session i love a cool down if you have time for it and if you don't do some breathing right at the end yeah awesome Mm -hmm. yeah thank you Okay, let's move on to the second kind of phase that we want to talk about, which is recovery methods in between sessions. And to go back to the analogy that Mercedes had earlier with the bucket of water, I actually use a jar of marbles when I talk to my athletes about this. Um, Yeah, Mercedes did say that recovery does take some energy because muscle synthesis takes energy. And even just to get our recovery modules really up and running, we do use some energy. However, um, the um, sort of output or the fruits of energy, uh, the fruits of recovery, you know, like what we're getting from recovery is filling up that bucket. That is the goal with recovery is to fill that bucket of water back up. And, you know, the higher we can fill it, the more we can use it the next day. And so what we want to talk about now is how we can manage those water levels in the buckets, how we had in the bucket and how we can fill it back up and maybe also at the same time, how we can prevent that bucket from draining. Because there's two concepts that go into this bucket of water, like our energy levels. One is, let's make sure we're filling it up between sessions. The other concept that I also like to talk about um, for people to not forget is to make sure we're not draining it in ways that, you know, let's let's make sure the bucket doesn't have any holes in it, where the water's just leaking out essentially. And I talk about this because you mentioned this kind of you on the side as you were talking, which is our general stress levels really matter. Mercedes mentioned this when she talked about auto-regulation, which is one reason why we use auto-regulation. Your general stress levels throughout your day, your week, your life matter. So if work is really stressful or, you know, you have personal issues going on, this could be literally any type of stress for you. Everybody's different. You know, that matters. That leaks our energy bucket, um, which is why we then want to adapt our training to it. Now, depending on the exercises that we do and depending on the stress that we have, exercise can help with that stress level for sure. So we are not here to tell people do not train. That's the opposite. but train accordingly to your stress levels, which is why we use a scale of auto-regulation. I believe when my athletes are stressed, I suggest go to the gym and at least warm up because movement, and even if your session is only 50% of the intensity or 50% of the volume, you have done a little bit and you stay consistent. And that movement will be so good for your nervous system to help you regulate chances are good. However, if an athlete does go to the gym, they warm up and they find, okay, my body just does not want to move at all today. Of course, we want to honor that also. That is okay. But it's sort of really finding that balance. So, and especially athletes, like, you know, we all train for different reasons. That's something else important to think about. If like some people have really big goals or some people, let's say, are more serious about their climbing goals than others. And I mention this because for the people who 
do have very serious goals and they're like, I want to do this thing, you know, to those people, I do really suggest like really think about what else is going on in your, in your life that really, really matters for your performance. If you want to perform at a high level, that is really important to consider. And sometimes that means making changes to your work schedule, um, reducing your number of work hours. I know people people might say, I can't do that. And you know, that is really up to everybody what they can and want to do. But I'm now also really speaking to, to athletes who really, they want to perform at a certain level, right? For most of us, we don't need to, you know, change our work hours. We can work on some other things that um, provide us with stress. But the first thing is people don't even know what's stressful to them, which is why I talk to them about this. So people can just even like go through their day and be like, okay, how stressful is my day? What am I doing in my day that is unnecessary, that is adding unnecessary stress? Anyway, that's another conversation, but I really encourage people to just think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, stress, chronic stress uh, is maybe a state that a lot of people don't think that they're actually in. Like they're exactly. just used to feeling chronically exactly. stressed. And they're like, I'm not stressed, but actually you probably are. Yeah. And we yeah. could talk about symptoms of that. And maybe again, that's for not we every time we have a podcast, I'm like, I have all these notes that I take afterwards. Okay, new podcast episode. I feel very passionate about it for exactly what you said. Most people aren't even aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, think about yeah. your general stress level. Um, I think for everybody, if you want to yeah. get better at climbing or not, you know, it's something in our society to really, really think about and really think about what can I change. Yeah. Um next thing i would love to talk about is sleep mm-hmm. this Number, is gonna be a, so I'm, important i know people are gonna be like duh katya i know yeah i say this though because sometimes when people start training for climbing in order to make time they now go late at night and then they sleep less which is not ideal that's not how we want to train that's not how we want to make time um chances are good there's other ways for most people to train um i do not think anybody should compromise sleep at any at any cost and sleep is a big topic and that's the outside that's outside of the scope for today's you know podcast but um i'll tell you some of my rules of thumbs and then you can maybe share some of yours um but generally sleeping for most of you out there i know people like to use hours like you should get eight hours a day to me that's arbitrary (laughs) that's arbitrary because you know similar to food intake you know we don't need the same amount every day we're all different people too so what I, the rule of thumb that I like to use is, for one, if you feel tired, you're not getting enough sleep, that's it. You know, if you're addicted to caffeine, chances are good you're not eating enough or you're not sleeping enough. So I just suggest to most people just try to get more sleep by going to bed earlier. And my second rule of thumb, no one's going to like this. <laughs> if you wake up to an alarm, chances are good you're not getting enough sleep. That's it. That's a simple rule. If the alarm wakes you up, you did not wake up naturally. I personally, for you, this is for you listening. I suggest try to go to bed earlier. Um, because, you know, something else is waking you up. Your body is not done resting yet. Okay, that's my rule of thumb. For some people, that's seven hours. You know, for some people, that's nine hours. And for mm-hmm. some people, that changes every day too. Depending, that's another thing, how stressful the day was before. And sleep can actually be, I don't know what the word is, like we can catch up on sleep. There is such a thing as sleep banking. You know, there's something like, so if we, you know, had a few nights where we didn't sleep as much, yeah, we might need even more sleep the following nights. So everybody's different, but that's my rule of thumb. If the alarm wakes me up, I didn't get out of sleep. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, I think that less than seven hours might not be optimal so if you're because i have some friends actually who would wake up in the middle of the night and feel completely awake and i'm like Mm -hmm. okay that's not that's not right like what's happening because there's something going on with your cortisol levels most Mm -hmm. likely and so they're only getting four or five hours of sleep um Mm -hmm. so you know i think there's a limit to that um and so if if you're someone who is waking up really early and that's maybe not normal, but you feel awake, <clears throat> that might be an indication of like, there's something else going on. Yeah. Um, I wonder then, too, though, I wonder how tired they are during the day. Yeah. You know, I guess I would ask them like, you know, 
how functional are they during the day? I mean, I would yeah. generally agree with you, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, this could be a deep topic because this could be really deep, but there's Buddhist monks who meditate all day and they actually do need way less sleep than we do. They yeah. can sleep. So this gets really complicated, but I mean, of course you're right. And I thank you for bringing this up. Like some people, maybe they wake up early because they're anxious and not because their mm-hmm. body is actually well rested. Mm-hmm. And that is something important to think about. Um, that's where my rule falls short, you know, and yeah, you should definitely see what your energy levels are like during the day. I do wonder what the monk, the monks, I'm just like mm-hmm. speculating here. Like if you can reach deep level levels of relaxation in your day, I exactly. think that's why you don't need as much sleep because you absolutely you're putting the water back in the bucket with all of exactly. your and I think types of relaxation. This- that speaks to what you said earlier. We are chronically stressed. That is normal. And I wonder too, this is why, you know, a lot of suggestions, this is why I suggested my rule, but again, you're right. It falls short. But I know there's all this research on how much sleep we need, but this research is done on dysfunctional, on a dysfunctional society. That's it. I used to be a scientist. Yeah. Like how you said yeah. in an experiment <laughs> matters a lot. So mm-hmm. now you've, you're studying people who are chronically stressed. Everybody's going to need eight hours of sleep. That rule is going to hold true for those people. But I like to argue, I can see people needing less sleep if they had a way less stressful life. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a personal journey, you know, but it's something, you know, we're not here to tell anybody do this, do that. You know, I like to educate and not dictate. So we're mm-hmm. here to just help you figure out your own life and just make some suggestions or give you prompts to think about what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think also the quality of your sleep matters. So this would be kind of like maybe a second part of the sleep mm-hmm. is, you know, if you are feeling tired and not like, and you have to get up to an alarm, even after eight hours or nine hours maybe the quality of your sleep isn't very good. Mm-hmm. It could be that uh, you're not realizing how many times you wake up during the night. Waking up in the middle of the night is normal, actually. Like, it's okay if if you do wake up uh, sometimes in the middle of the night. Uh, but not having any light in your room can help get you mm-hmm. into the deeper sleep. Uh, not having a ton of noise can help you get into a deeper state. Um, so I, I really do think that the quality of your sleep also matters, even if it is five hours, like get the best quality yeah. that you can. Um, and I think what you can do if you're a napper, like I love to nap. I love napping. Uh, that could also with the catching up on sleep. I think there's been some studies there. Again, it's just up to you if you're feeling tired in the afternoons. You could take a nap. It could be also your, your nutrition. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you could always try like a power nap. 10 minutes sometimes can make you feel amazing mm-hmm. um, for the rest of the day. So yeah, napping is a good, good recovery tool that not a lot of people. Yeah, use. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The last thing I'll say about sleep quality, I said, we are not going to go deep into this, <laughs> but I want to say this because you started it. Yeah. <laughs> temperature does matter too. So actually when our body temperature is lowered at night, it helps our sleep quality. So if you're someone who struggles with sleep quality, Again, this is maybe not going to fix anything, but it's here's the thing. It's so simple to try. Try to lower the temperature in your room. What I do actually works really well for us. It's even though it's winter in Salt Lake City right now, we open a window and we just use three blankets because it also gives us fresh air. I'm like, wow, I need that fresh air. Okay, that's enough about sleep. Yeah. That's not a sleep podcast, but sleep really, really matters. Um, and, you know, yeah, shoot us a comment. Or ask us any questions if you do want to talk about anything. We're not experts on sleep. You know, we educate ourselves generally and we have different experiences, but, you know, we're not experts. You might want to go and listen to Huberman podcast. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of really good stuff over there, which is really what I used to educate myself a lot. And it's fun. Yeah. Um, Okay, Mercedes, I'm running out of time. I I need to go out and pick up my son. What what would be, let's talk about, um, (laughs) this has been fun. How about, uh let's talk about food food yeah i have things to say yeah let's, I mean, let's do that and then you can go <laughs> no i'm not gonna just <laughs> leave you here <laughs> bye, Mer- bye everybody i'm yeah. gonna just check out no i do yeah. need to go and pick up my son um 
we did not plan to record for that long. This happens like, oh, we're going to do like a 20 minute episode. Yeah. It's going to be great. And then, you know, we get yeah. chatting. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about food and there's some things I feel very passionate about. And let's see if I can make this short. Um, we need food to recover. The most important thing that I want to say is something about protein. Um, because there's this idea that we need protein after we exercise. And while that is true, we need we also need protein the day after. That's probably the biggest misconception that people have. And this is based on old studies. So there used to be these studies, you know, I think they were done in the 90s. And they said, you need to eat protein within 15 or 20 minutes of exercising, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, the studies at the time were done well. They were just misinterpreted because they had the wrong controls. So it turns out that in itself is not true. However, we do need protein. We need protein throughout the day. And the thing is, if we eat well throughout the day, if we eat enough protein throughout the day, we don't need a special protein enhancement supplement thing right after we work out because our body is full of the protein that we need in order to grow muscle. However, one thing to really think about, this is especially for athletes who train at least three or four times a week. Um, studies have shown that our protein synthesis, uh, muscle synthesis, so when I say muscle synthesis, I mean the building of our muscles. That rate is twice as high 24 hours post-workout compared to four hours post-workout. So that means if you look at how much muscle is being built four hours after we work out and you compare that to how much muscle is being built 24 hours after working out, the rate is actually twice as high 24 hours after working out, which really just means is, wow, we definitely need to eat protein the day after. You know, so it's like the opposite of what people think. Um, but what I like to suggest to most people, this is for general health too, and especially for athletes, especially for aging people, and especially for women. So most likely, if you are older than 18 and you <laughs> move your body and you listen to this podcast, it's going to be you. I suggest to everybody to not to worry about their protein intake, but to watch and think about their protein intake to make sure you get high quality protein with each meal three to four times a day. It's good to spread it out regularly throughout the day. We can't, you know, we don't have this protein bank that we could save. And so having a high protein breakfast is not going to last you all day. We're going to have to replenish the protein regularly for our bodies, similar to, you know, we have to sleep every night. So try to eat. I don't want to, I don't like giving numbers, but we're probably going to do a protein podcast pretty soon, you know, but um, essentially just try to get as much high quality protein with every single meal three to four times a day if you can with protein really the more the better it's a sort of rule of thumb you could follow yeah. Yeah. i'm so careful i have so much to say about protein but i do have three minutes left <laughs> yeah well i think leading with protein like um a lot like we're we're coaching a nutrition course right now and mm -hmm. uh kind of the thing that one of our rules of thumbs is when you're looking at putting a meal together, mm -hmm. think about your protein first, because that is generally the hardest thing for exactly. people to organize around or like to, to prepare for. So uh, instead of thinking about numbers, maybe just like think about protein first, like where's, where's that protein on your plate? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll add this to the list of podcast episodes to record. Yeah. Okay. This is wonderful one. though. We mm -hmm. covered so much Mercedes. There's one thing yeah. that I have on my list to cover. And I think we can do this at the end, which is exercise for recovery. Yeah. Like a lot of our athletes like to do more than just climbing. And then the question mm -hmm. is how much can you exercise in between, in between climbing training on, yeah. on your off days? How much? And I fall into this because I used to like run and bike and do all these things. And I actually do bike for recovery. So you can do some exercise and I have some thoughts I want to share, but Mercedes is going to share like some rules of thumb when it comes to intensity for recovery for exercise. Yeah. And it is a good idea to move as recovery, like uh, sitting on the couch may, might be reserved for when you are very, very tired or recovering from illness. But in general, you're going to recover better if you do at least a you know, even 15, 20 minutes of movement compared to not moving at all. 
Um, so in terms of intensity, especially if it's cardio, um, but even weight-based, for some reason, if you want to lift weights, I, I don't recommend it always as a recovery tool, but uh, you want to be able to hit an intensity that you can do for hours, you know? So that would be, that would be really the intensity you're going for is very low. Um, if you like to use your heart rate zones for cardio, zone one is excellent. Anything over about 100 beats per minute uh, for most people, no matter what age you are, um, that is really nice. And it should feel easy. It should feel very easy. Like you can talk through your cardio. If you're going for a hike, you can have a very in-depth conversation. You know, like that's the intensity we're going for. Um, stretching is great. I mean, I'm going to always... I'm a big proponent of stretching uh, on recovery days. And again, that should also be really chill. Um, you can have some intensity here and there, but uh, yeah, it should be pretty easy. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that, mm -hmm. Mercedes. Um, this question, I'm going to ask this to you because this might come up. What about climbing for recovery? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Um. Oh man, then there's a lot of like follow-up questions of like how many times a week are you already climbing? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like skin is a factor. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you have trouble with your skin, then probably climbing isn't the best thing because you want your skin to recover as well. Mm -hmm. Uh so generally I would say it's not maybe the mm -hmm. best, but if you did go with that rule of thumb again, it has to be so easy that you could do it all day. Like you know, like slab terrain over and over again. Like jugs are also terrible for your for your skin. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you could just like work on jugs on vertical terrain. Um, a lot of people, when they think of recovery and they're like, I'm going to do cardio uh, or they do easy climbing, it becomes too, mm -hmm. too hard. And now mm -hmm. they're not recovering. You know, they just went mm -hmm. for a five mile run at like a seven minute mile pace when they really can't really sustain an eight minute pace or something, you know, like that's way too intense. Um, just because it's cardio doesn't mean that it's recovery. It has to be at a very low intensity. For mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to share my thoughts on this because sometimes, mm -hmm. at least in the past, you know, we are um, changing our minds frequently, which is okay. <laughs> I want to say because Mercedes and I have disagreed on this, which is why I want to offer sort of my opinion. Um, because I'm not arguing with what Mercedes said, because what Mercedes just talked about for recovery is really to optimize your climbing training and performance. And if that is your goal, you might not want to go on this five mile run that's like feels like not like a recovery run for you because obviously recovery exercise really matters on your fitness level some people so here's the thing some people could run five miles and that could be recovery but i would argue if a five mile run is recovery for you then you're probably more of a runner than a climber <laughs> because you're so good at running i'm wondering where does you know where does all of your running strength come from um, which means you're probably doing harder runs throughout the week. Well, this is a totally different topic, but I want to say I do actually have one athlete. Um, she's a long distance runner. And this is the point I want to make. She's a long distance runner. And so she will be running a lot. And we have some other athletes who love to hike and do a bunch of other things. Um, the thing is, she trains for climbing as a second hobby, right? And that is okay. She should absolutely go and do her running because that is her main hobby. Climbing training is her second hobby, and she still wants to get better at climbing, but kind of secondarily. So what's important here is to keep in mind your priorities and what's important to you. Because what Mercedes, again, is talking about, this is going to be really for people who want to prioritize their climbing, and that is their main focus. However, I always like to say, or we like to say at Modus, you know, people first, climber second. I have athletes who love to go skiing. Now, if you ski hard after a day of training, that is not going to be optimal for your recovery. Chances are good. Let me put it this way. Chances are good. It's not going to be optimal for your recovery. However, you are a human being with a beating heart, and that heart should beat for the things you love to do. So if you love to go skiing, by all means, you go and ski. 
just know, you know, be educated around the fact that it might compromise your training. So the gains that you're making might be slower. Your next sessions the next week after you just skied a bunch or like hard, it might be different. But when you go and show up, show up next week and you train and you feel tired and you can't put the same thing in, don't think right away my training plan is not working. You know, remember that ski day and remember, hey, but I had so much fun skiing and now I'm paying for it, which is totally okay because I really enjoyed um, skiing as well. So it's really knowing our priorities. There's nothing wrong with doing hard things in between training or the days of training. If that is your passion and that is how you like to live, a lot of people who climb are outdoor athletes in general and they want to do all these things because it brings them joy. But chances are going to will compromise your climbing performance. However, being unhappy will also compromise your climbing performance. So if you need, if you need to go on that run, if you need to ski, or let's say if you want to ski, that's the more most more important way of phrasing it. You should by all means do that. Like again, this is all for you, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and for you to think about all these topics that we just discussed. Amazing. Hey Mercedes, do you, have, right. do you have any closing thoughts? On no, you I should go said? pick up your son. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go swim with him now. It's going to be a oh, recovery. Not... Yeah, swimming's great. Swimming's such I a mean, good honestly, recovery tool. Having a six-year-old son is really great for recovery because yeah. <laughs> I'm just like chasing him, but at such a low level, it's yeah. really fun. That's so great. we're going to go swim and it's going to be really easy and fun. Oh, so. That sounds awesome. All right. Yay. Thanks, Katya. That was thanks, so everyone. fun. We'll come back. Yeah. Talk to you next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And have you heard about our eight-week training course? Modus Performance Training is a training course designed to launch you into a new level of climbing. We take care of everything, all of the details, and you show up and do the thing. We have a training program set up for you to follow. We have coaching calls to support you along the way. uh, And we include climbing tactics and strategy so that you're not just improving your strength and technique, but you're also improving your mindset. I love this course so much. We've had great success from past athletes and it's helped them stay consistent throughout the year and see new heights in their climbing. Coach Katya and I will be coaching this together um, and we're excited to welcome climbers who are new to training or climbers who have trained but want a kickstart to your training this season. Um, Or if you are on a training plan right now and feel a little lost and want someone to take care of all of the details. We do recommend that you have been climbing for a year and that you have no injuries when you join. So if this sounds like you, hit the link in the description to sign up and we'll catch you in the next one.